I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, and welcome to the second edition of Two Cups of Tea. I'm Chris Heath, and as you may have heard, I've got the best job in podcasting. With the help of tea and cake, I get to hear the life story of an old legend in their golden years, who's full to bursting with brilliant stories. I can't think of anything more exciting for, for, for a seven-year-old boy than being shown out there how to fix up a gun by a soldier. Yes, he missed the target, but the bomb went straight in the toilet of the, of the pub at them. <laughs> so that was flash of a pan. Was, the was it a good wedding day? Yeah, well, it was. So they, they put the racing results on in the middle of them because their uncle's like horse racing. <laughs> Let's go and meet squadron leader John Hyde. He's 84 years old, has had a glittering career in the RAF, and now lives in Cambridgeshire. Cheesy title music, please. I was three years old when we moved from London, Southfields, into a council house on the outskirts of Felton in Middlesex. Because my dad had got a job in a factory yeah. there as a foreman, uh, and um, we worked, and it was a it was a, a nice family home, and it was modcon. It had you know fitted bathrooms and that sort of thing, which was I think probably new to strange to them having moved out of London. Also, there was a for my benefit, there was a disused gravel pit which was covered in bushes and whatever, which was an ideal. Oh, that sounds young like boy, heaven. Young boy to grow up in with, with, you know, making camps and all sorts of things with our friends. And however, uh, my mother was fiercely, uh, <laughs> I don't know, she did, she, and I think because she'd lost two children. Yes. She didn't want anything to happen to me. If you that's know her, I mean. As a mum, that's as her a, job. And, and, be, and, and I became a bit... Well, I suppose I was I was not model coddle, but she made certain that well she knew what wanted to know what I was doing. Where have you been? Yes, oh, yeah. I've been to Morris's house up the road. Oh, that's all right. She didn't know I was in it and gone into the but anyway, that's the, So hang on a minute. So you said you were in Morris's house. Yes. But where were you really? Well, I'm with a pair of us when our other friends were in making dens and things and playing cowboys and Indians and soldiers and in the in the bushy things around them. So that's so that's you and Morris. That was me and Morris. What yeah. was Morris's? Was that Morris's? What was Morris's second name? Smythe. Morris Smythe. Yeah. And were there and were the two of you thick as thieves? Yeah, except we had bust ups every now and then, as boys do. You know, we yeah. Have a, have a fight sort of thing and back up and not fight, but you know, break off. And uh, so uh, we grew up together. The, the The war, of course, came, and I was six year old when the war. Yeah. Six year old when the war came, and that that changed things for a bit because I remember. 
um, the Anderson shelter was delivered to my garden and yeah. my dad and the neighbours dug a big hole and put it in. And um, my, So how did it, how did the Anderson shelter arrive? Did it come in kit form it and you, just, in, you put it in? It came in kit form, yes. Yeah. It was four, four pieces that were curved like that yeah. and three pieces at that end yeah. and then two pieces and a little piece at the entrance. So you had a little square. Right. Because the square would be no bigger than about that to go in. Yeah, because you needed it to be gradiated, otherwise then, you'd just fall into it. And then you went... No, it was it was, it was was straight in. Oh, was it? It was straight in, yes. We would go down to the shelter every night and sleep in the shelter. Right. And at that time, it was mud floor. Just because it was easier to go down there and sleep. Sleep. Rather than get go, out of wake up and when get... The, when the siren went. So yeah. we used to... It was a regular thing. And... Uh, and and for boys, it was quite exciting because you know I'd, I'd get I'd, you'd hear all the bangs going on in the night and the crashing and the and, and you go so what's that and Dad would say that's how guns you know don't worry that's how guns we're shooting down the air, the airplanes oh so that was all right because it wasn't really it was bombs as well but yeah we did and just behind us we had a railway line with a train I think that had a big gun on it and that was a huge crack every time that went off mm. and then we'd go off to school in the morning of course we'd pick up shrapnel which we all collected. From the bits of the shells and things, so, yeah. And I mean, that was the one because you find if you found out a bit of hot, bit of warm, well, that was something good. And then you'd get to school, and then the, the, the prize was if you found a tail of one of these fluorescent bombs, you know, right? Yeah, bomb. and if you got one of those, well, you know, that was a, but uh, looking back, it, I, I think it must have been the most worrying time for our parents. We're not knowing whether they were going to be invaded or not by the Germans. Yeah. Know, and expect maybe expecting it. Because we were just carrying on. And yeah. the school field, they put poles in it to stop the gliders and that sort of thing. And we yeah. watched that. We watched the Home Guard parading and that. And we were, at that time, we also, we had uh, two soldiers billeted on us. Mm. Uh, because they came around and said, how many rooms have you got? Three bedrooms. Two children. Well, one can sleep with their parents, the girl, and the boy can have the other room. And this room's free for two soldiers. So, they two soldiers turned up. Do you remember their names? Do you remember what they were like? Uh, Tom was the family man. Right, gotcha. Because his wife came and stayed with us whilst he was there for. She had a long weekend with us, and I remember it there. One, it was one of the few times that my mum and dad went out together because, strangely enough, they 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 didn't go out together really. They sort of. You know, they didn't. He didn't go out on his own. They were other, but they sort of came. Dad came in from work and sat down and had his meal, and Mum mm. was there to make it. And then they listened to the radio or Itmar or something like that. Yeah. At that time, with with them, it was super because Mum and Dad they went out to the pictures. I think one night, and then and these two babies sat for me and my sister. Mm. And, but and, and of course, they claimed that they had their guns with them, so they were showing me how you oiled and cleaned this rifle. <laughs> Floor and all that now the bolts and you and you must have been what, seven or eight seven or eight eight years I can't think of anything more exciting for a, for, a, for a seven year old boy than being shown out there how to uh, fix up a gun, gun by a soldier that, yes, that, it was it was uh, they were two super blokes and yeah they went um, they left and then we had a had an ATS guard who was um, billeted on us yeah and uh, it, so she didn't last long but then we had a a lady who had been bombed out in London, who was a lady, I was supposed she, she was an old elderly lady. Yeah. Um, and she um, she smelled to high heaven. Oh, she smelled. She, oh, she'd never met my mum. My mum mad. She tried to get her in the bath. She tried to get her the food. <laughs> she changed her clothes, and she wouldn't. And you know, we, we, oh, we couldn't eat with her because you couldn't sit. With, you know, 
So eventually she said to the bulletin people, she's got to go. So they took her away. Well, so it sounds like as soon as the bulletin people knew you had a room free, that was it. It was revolving door time. Oh, yeah, yes, revolving door. You couldn't say no, no. About that time, um, after the war, my mother said, let's, uh, she said, I I want the kitchen decorated, you see. So my dad said, well, I suppose it looks as if it does. So he said, she said, well, I'm going out shopping on Saturday, so you you and John can decorate the kitchen. I said, yes. She said, I've cleaned it, I've put all the things away and I've covered them all up. So he said, So you'll have been about 12 by this I would have been about 11 or 12. Yeah. And I'd be a bit younger, anyway. Mm. And he said, uh, I'll tell you what, son, he said, I've got a stirrup pump. And he said, so, A stirrup pump. Yeah, you put yeah. it in a bucket of water and you, you pump like that, and yeah. out of the end came the, the water. You see, yeah. right out. So <laughs> we got my dad said, he, he, I went and got a big bucket of distemper, which is like paint, you know, yeah. paint. Anyway, so we, we, we kept it all up in the kitchen, and he said, Now you pump, I'll hold the end. So, so he started, I started pumping. <laughs> But instead of having it on spray, he had it on jet. Oh, my God. Wow. And he got it onto spray. And I've never heard my dad swear, but he said, pump your... Pump! <laughs> Couldn't pump it laughing. I was absolutely <laughs> creased up. And there was distemper everywhere. Oh, my God. All everything. And even, even the hole in the floor where the mat used to go, it was yeah. all up. And my mum came back. She was she's living. She shut the door. <laughs> so, so we didn't... So well, arguably, it did look different than before. It did look different. <laughs> so did everything else. Yeah. But oh, I, I, but uh, so we we didn't use that again. He had to use a brush. Yeah. But, uh, so that but, sounds like your dad had a scheme for different ways. It, well, yes. we'll get through this in no time, son. But, but my friend's father down the road, because we all kept chickens at that time, because mm. they, we had chickens. The man next door kept rabbits, so we interchanged with the dead rabbit. You know, he'd, yeah. he'd kill a rabbit, we'd kill a chicken. Morris's dad. He, he wanted to clear out the chicken coop, so he used it. And the next thing, the chickens are running around and can't see because he, he, he went indoor bathing their eyes to get a clear out. So that didn't work out. Yeah. My mother's pair, my mother's family lived in Campbell Road in uh, in uh, Southfields or I think Southfield. Yeah, and and. Auntie Lil had nine girls and two boys. Wow, that's a, a football house, team. A, a football team yeah. in a house of about two up and or three up and two down, you know, three yeah. down. Wow. Uh, and with an outside at the back was just a, 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 a with a hole in a wooden seat and yeah. that was their, their toilet. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I'd never seen anything like this. And I, she, she used to say, we're going to see Auntie Lil tomorrow. So mm. I said, I'd... And your granddad and I said, well, I, I don't want to go. She said, you're going, you're coming with me. So mm. anyway, I would go. I had to go and see granddad. It is with an old man in his room mm. and it was full of tobacco, smelt of cigarettes and tobacco and everything. He'd sit there, real dice. Hello, who are you? Yeah. I'm John, granddad. Are you my son? Yeah. Well, here's Chapman. Go and get yourself some sweets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You weren't in there with him long. I said, well, I'm not going to be in there at all, Mark. <laughs> but an offshoot from that was my, they, the um, the girls there were, well, they ranged from about 20 to what, well, downwards, but the, mm. the ones in their teens used to love to come down to us for a weekend because um, it gave them a chance to have a shot at the bath and, a, you know, and, 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 and,
mum and dad, although I never saw mum and dad dance together, and I'm not sure they can, but they, they taught them, they were teaching them how to dance. And they, dad had a, 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 a radiogram with a, some records, you know, mainly Paul Robeson, but he had some Victor Sylvester, you may have known. Yes, he never expressed And in the, local, in the press then, they cut out the footprints of the dance. I was going to ask if it was the footprints. Yes. And the, laid them on the floor. And they laid them on the floor for them to dance. <laughs> and I used to sit on the city wondering what the hell going, you know. And, and he was teaching these girls to go on that. But they, but they loved coming down there. I, I had, coming up to 11 plus at that time... Did that mean a change of school? A change of school. Right. Yeah, there was a tech, there was a grammar school or the technical school, mm. and uh, you, if you passed your eleven plus, you went to the grammar school. If you passed the, if you if you didn't, you went to the technical school. Um, but I and some weeks before that, I'd had scarlet fever, which was uh, a second time. Mm. But I didn't go into hospital. I had a bed. My bedroom upstairs was turned into a ward. I had a white sheet over the door that was damp. And that. God, because it was that contagious, wasn't because it? Because it was contagious. Yeah. And they all came in with masks. Wow. And I was up there. And at that time, I got a set of roller skates. So I used to go around the bedroom <laughs> with the roller skates. And they were, they were murdered downstairs. For <laughs> God's sake, stop him driving. <laughs> On these roller skates. Well, that was your only pleasure. Only if pleasure. you were up there with scarlet fever, I know, I know. you should be allowed to go on your roller skates. And then, then they'd all mumbled, come in with a mask on and give me some food and that and that. And and I didn't get it, but um, it was it was not so long before my eleven plus. Anyway, that's that's water under the bridge now. But mm. I managed to pass my eleven plus. Good for you. So I went to the grammar school, mm. which was a shame, really, in some ways, because most of my friends around about didn't yeah uh, and that that made a bit of a about you know set me apart a bit but uh, did you still hang around with did morris go to the grammar no school? he didn't go to the grammar school yeah, but so i met another friend who lived down the bottom there jim yeah. teasel he was went to grammar school with me so was in the same class as me so oh yeah, brilliant that, that was nice and then came the um the threat of national service appeared then. Mm. I was uh, in limbo, I suppose. I went for a job. I, I decided I'd like to like to travel, so I, I went to Thomas Cook and got a job in Harrods, you know, the store in Harrods. Yeah. In their travel bureau, which was run by Thomas Cook. So it was in Harrods Travel yeah. Bureau, which was run by, by Thomas, Thomas Cook. Cook yeah. Goodness me. Which was good because I had access to... The facilities there, I had lunch hubs in the staff room, which was very nice. Very nice. I had access to their sports club, so I played tennis there. But I travelled, and I travelled from Felton, and I had to travel five miles to the underground, mm. which I did on my bike most days. And then I got on an underground train and I think did 20 stations, stops to Knightsbridge. Mm. And then I got out and went up into Harrods. And then at five o'clock, I'd do the reverse yeah. every day. And it didn't seem odd to me, but... To do it nowadays, it would. I, I go up there sometimes. And I think, how the heck did I do this? When yeah. I was then came the uh, the letter in the post to say, you know, national services here. I went along for my interviews and, and this sort of thing, and um, they said I want to fly. And they said, well, we did the aptitude tests or whatever. I don't know what I wasn't good enough for that, but they, it was obvious. They said. But we've got our allocation of pilots today, right. but we're short of navigators and engineers. Do mm. you fancy being a navigator? So I said, uh, yes. He said, but 
your national service, so we can't guarantee you'll fly. How do you feel about signing on for four years for a bounty of £300, you see? Mm. I thought, well, it's two years out of it, so, so I signed on for that. And um, I went off to initial training school at, at Cramwell, as it was then. God, what a shock to me. I mean, Cramwell in the winter with everyone, you slept in one wooden hut with two stoves and those iron stoves would go right, yeah. right at the top there, went down there. It's freezing cold. If you spilt water, it was ice in the middle when you got up in the morning. But outside were the ablutions in the long ablutions. I think about the first or second chap got hot water and the rest of us got cold, you know. Oh, my God. You took your turns for a bath at the weekend. Yeah. Did they? Now, here's... Right, I want to know if this is a myth or not. Did they really put bromide in the tea? I, I, I It had a funny taste. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I must admit, I didn't get any sexual... <laughs> I got there. <laughs> well, so, I imagine it's hard to get any urges when, when the water freezes as soon as it hits the ground. <laughs> and we had an escape and evasion exercise, which is where they divided us up in teams of three, yeah. took us out in the wilderness and um, dropped us off. Somewhere. Right. We didn't know where the hell we were, but we had to find our way to this place near near Sleaford. Um, and um, and going down the ditch, I caught my foot and twisted my knee. So I couldn't move. Right. So I said, uh, they said, well, you know, what are we going to do? I said, well, you better leave me. They said, we can't leave you here on your own. There's a light over there. Let's make for the light. So we made for the light and it was a signal box on the main line, north-south. So, right. So we went, um, this is about three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, knocked on the door, the signal box. <laughs> <laughs> Signalman was amazed. Yeah. <laughs> a bit stunned. But he just, and he said, well, anyway, we explained what had happened. And he, and he said, have you got a telephone? So he said, I haven't got an external telephone, but I've got a telephone to the telephone, but the box up the line, up yeah. the signal box. So, and there's a police house nearby there, so... Fred, you know that little shunting engine you've got up there? Is it all steamed up? He said, yes, yes, we're not ready for it now. Oh, send it down, will you? <laughs> Are these the ones like the seesaw thing? No, 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 it's one of the steam little ones that they use. A little, a, a mini steam engine. A, a steam engine. Oh, that's amazing. One. So they said they sent them down the main line because it's used for helping goods tra- trains up the gradient or something. Yeah. So this thing pulled outside, huffing and puffing, and a great big burly fireman came in. What's the matter, lad? So I said, <laughs> said, oh, come on. He lifted me up, carried me bodily up, dumped me on the footplate behind mm. with my two mates, and off we went. <laughs> they knocked the policeman up, and his wife came and made a cup of tea and whatever, and then we rang the RAF to say, and they came in. But my two friends pressed on, but then they came in, and as a result of that, I ended up in hospital. And uh, then I went... <clears throat> And I had my cartilage partially extracted. Wow, that must gonna, have been a bad fall. Gonna, yeah, and uh, I went to Headley Court, but I went down there as walking wounded from the RAF, and I had my white shirt and my red tie on, and they used to take us to theatres in London. Really? We'd go backstage and we'd because we were war heroes. The war ended over, but... Long, 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 long. Wow. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But at that time, they, they decided that all aircrew would be commissioned. So I was then made an, an acting pilot officer. I met Joan, my wife, and it just so happened that I, I was watching the... the, the uh, the the team were playing. We had a team playing football, I think, against something or another. And one of the NCOs, the sergeant P, PTI, was standing there with this with this girl. And he said, to, "Excuse me, sir." He said, well, "I'm going to play football. Would you? Can you keep my girl? You know, talk to my girl." And, and this was Joan. So I said, "Yes, okay." So who went on to become your this, wife? It became my wife. Yeah. So this was this was, <laughs> that, was that was that. So that's the worst mistake he ever made. <laughs> so. so <laughs> Anyway, the, um, we all used to go dancing at the local club on the seaburn there because that's all you did, you know. You went mm. to, and then I spotted uh, this this girl sitting opposite me again, so I went over and had a dance. And she said, oh, that was she said, I know you, don't I? And I said, yes, I know you as well. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it started. Yeah, and she was going off to teach at Training College to be a teacher, and mm. I was going various other places. So we corresponded by letters, you know. Yeah, it's unheard of nowadays. But every other day, we probably write to each other because that's what everyone did in those days. Yeah, brilliant. got on well with their mum and dad. They thought I was very odd because I spoke funny. But uh, oh, was she because she was Northumberland? She was Northumberland. She was northeast. She spoke very not not quite. She hadn't got much of an accent, but you know, dad said, "Of course, he's a funny lad. He doesn't speak funny, doesn't he?" We we corresponded corresponded for a while, and I got onto. Uh, 617 Squadron, which was the Canberra Squadron then at Binbrook. And then Joan and I got married on the purchase the day before I left. Mm. Was it a good wedding day? Yeah, well, it was till they, they put the racing results on in the middle of the... Because her uncle was like horse racing. <laughs> in the <laughs> middle of the it. wedding breakfast, I said, excuse me, do you mind putting that off? <laughs> <laughs> they put, said, the, put the horse she, racing results on. I'm talking like that. I said, well, I'm not going to have that on, are we? <laughs> Quite right, too. <laughs> Quite right, too. Just for anyone who doesn't know what a navigator does, what's the navigator's in, in you know in a big you know in a plane like a Canberra, one of those big planes like that? What is it that navigator does? Well, there there are two navigators in there. There's one that does the does the chart work, yeah, plotting and drawing the lines and that sort of thing. There, I found where the aeroplane was 
according to the electronics, yeah. and then told him where we were, and he put it on his map. And also my job was to climb down the past the pilot, get in the nose, and lie flat on my belly, and drop the bombs. There's a lovely story about they used to have a range down at Theddlethorpe off the coast there. Theddlethorpe. You know, That's a great name, though, Theddlethorpe. Yeah. Well, there's a pub there that one one day, the one night, the aircraft, the pump, he missed the target, but the bomb went straight in the toilet of the, of the pub at Theddlethorpe. <laughs> so it was flash of the pan, was the headline. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the seat pans over the doorway in there. Yeah. <laughs> no one was in there, fortunately. But uh, well, that's that's, that's pinpoint accuracy, isn't it? <laughs> it wasn't. It was. It <laughs> he missed the target, Bob. but but he missed it beautifully. <laughs> yes, he missed it. <laughs> <laughs> Sometime later. We went on detachment to Malta, which was a regular thing, the old old squadron. And um, one of the exercises we were due to do that day was fly across the Med to near to Brook mm. to the Ard base called the base called El Adam, which was an RAF base there. Yes. And near there was a bombing range, mm. not far. The idea was that you flew out in the daylight yeah. and you flew over there, dropped your eight bombs, eight bombs yeah. on the range, then you went to a Landed, had lunch in the mess. Yeah. There, sat around. When it got dark, you took off again and dropped the other eight that you were carrying. Yeah. So we did that and then we dropped our other eight. We then started to fly out. We're just crossing the coast to go back to Malta mm. and the port engine oil pressure fell. So, so Kiwi said, Well, I'm, we're not going back across the ocean on my own engine, so I'm going back. Yeah. So he flamed the engine out and we went back for a single engine approach. We went. We, we ended up on the approach, coming in on a single engine, and there was a whistling sound. The undercarriage wasn't locked down. Uh, come forward, John, will you? There's an hydraulic handle beside him. Gee, he couldn't operate. Mm. Come forward. So I got out of my seat and sat beside on a little seat beside him, plumped down. Mm. And the undercarriage locked. That was all right. He said, stay with me in case I need more hydraulics. So yeah. I stayed there. And then we got on the approach down there, and I don't know how hard we were, but we were on the final approach. When he's, he put his flaps down and nothing happened. So he said, uh, oh, I haven't got any flaps. Part and I, we tried, we didn't get any flaps. So he said, and he said, we'll, we'll have to go round again. Mm. So I got back in the seat, but I just got my lap strap on and uh, I got to, and he was trying to go round the airfield to land yeah. to go for another approach. And we got halfway round and then Brian was shouting, man, watch your airspeed, for God's sake, watch your airspeed. Yeah. He was getting down to 100 and something. You know, just, uh, oh, my God. And, and at that point, the aeroplane was just about to, Roll over that on, you know. So he had no option. He just chopped it, just put it straight, wings straight, mm. sat there in the dark, waited for the ground to appear. And uh, we touched and we were thrown about all over the place. And the, anyway, the air, we, we eventually came to rest. And I said, You all right? He said, I'm all right. Brian, you all right? We're all right. Yeah. So I, I couldn't open the door with the normal thing. So I had to kick it open. We got that open. Mm. Little fire burning down there, but no, no thing. So we, we then uh, we all got out and we said we're okay. Mm. And then we could see on the airfield they were. We could see the airfield over there with the flashing lights and all that. But I wonder where we were. Yeah. And we we ran away from the aeroplane. We got up and we ran away. At the uh, the airplane was flying that way, and we ran there. And as we ran away, I thought, God, this is a lot of rubbish around here. There's a there's a wheel over there, and there's a wheel over there, you see. And, of course, it was, what had happened was when we touched, 
because it's not sandy desert; it's all rock. Yeah, you know. And it was, and what had happened was the undercarriage, one of the one of the legs had snapped off, and the aeroplane had swung round and gone backwards. Right, slid right through all the way through backwards. So you were running through. So we were running through the rubbish bits of your own plane. Aeroplane. So when we came to. Uh, when they came and picked us up, and they we were flashing a tortoise when they saw us, and they said uh, they took us back to the mess, and uh, we uh, they made a, you know made a fuss of us and all that sort of thing, and they said you're lucky you know because you're lucky you ran that way because it's only a partially cleared minefield, and we do get the odd arrow, <laughs> 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 the aeroplane had cleared it for us going backwards, so. Uh, it was a minefield. You know, I partially cleared and there was a minefield from the I, wall. I don't care. So if, I don't, if, they, I, if I hear the word minefield, then... So they, they, uh, my God! <laughs> so we walked away. I retired in... When did I retire? At the age of 58 in 91... We were just moving along fairly happily, you know, doing a normal married life. We had a caravan. We used to go boy. We used to go cruising. We used to go dancing. We both liked dancing. Mm. And uh, so, and, and life was, was quite good. And um, then coming up to my 80th birthday, it was three days before my 80th birthday, in the kitchen, for some unknown reason, it was three days before, Joan came to me and he looked in my eyes. He said, I really love you, you know. I really love you. Then we went out and we bought my um, birthday cake for my 80th birthday with a, a model of a victor, which was lovely, all in icing and whatever. Mm. And uh, we went and had a meal in the uh, carvery, in, not the carvery, in the harvester in the showground. And uh, she had the main course. And then I said, what do you want for sweet? She went to do that. And that was it. She just went. So what had happened to her? She had a massive stroke. It's all over in nine hours. Oh my God! They said there's no hope. They tried various things, but they, but they, you know, the, the God, the good thing was, she didn't suffer. Yeah. They said had she survived, she'd have been a cabbage. Yeah. And that would have. Mm. Couldn't couldn't manage that. So anyway, so uh, and then at that point, I, uh, well, I was heartbroken, you know, obviously, and the, the family was, they came and stayed with me for a bit, but in the end, uh, Terry, Steve's wife, wanted to stay, and I said, no, I've got to get over this myself. Mm. You know, and, I, and I did, I got over it. And uh, and um, I was lonely at times, so everyone would be, but I've got very good neighbours around here. Danielle over the road, she, you know, just come over any time. Hazel and Terry, don't sit on your own, come on, the kettle's always on, and... Eventually, I, I got pulling myself together, uh, and uh, I decided that I'd uh, I'd have to live a little because I couldn't. Uh, I got got to snap out of it. Joan was never going to come back. I couldn't bring her back, so I had to do that. So um, my life now is: I go to um, Monday afternoons once a fortnight to dance. Mm. I go every Wednesday afternoon for singing. Mm. There's about ten or twelve chaps and thirty women go to the church hall near and the outskirts of Peterborough, and a lady plays the keyboard and we all sing songs. Yeah. Oklahoma and all those sort of things, isn't it? No, not a choir, we just sing. Yeah. Then I met, I've met Alan, of course, mm. who lives around the corner, and he belongs to the Flying Club at Connington. Mm. 
And he said to me, I'm going up to Collington Thursday night for a meal. Do you want to come with me? So I said, yes. So I went up to Collington with him and uh, met the chaps up there. They're all very friendly. And, and Alan, Alan is a pilot. Right. He said, well, you, you've got 4,000 hours as a navigator, mm. but you've never flown an aeroplane. You've never flown an aeroplane. Never flown. I said, no. He said, why don't you have a go? So I said, mm. well, right. so I, I paid me 90-odd pounds and I had 30 minutes with Frank, the senior pilot, and I thought, oh, it's seem too difficult all right so so all that time spent in planes but you'd never flown i'd never flown wow never flown no no i always sat behind a pilot yeah and never got a, as a navigator as but, a, but not never as got pilot. my hands on the control no never never and i thought before i go yeah that's something i'd like to do anyway next time i went he said what do you want to do this time i said i'd like to take it off Mm. He said, well, come on, let's go and do that. So I said, well, I've never done it. He said, we've got to do it sometime, haven't you? So he said, I'll put you on the end of the runway. So he put me on the end of the runway. He said, I'll give you full power and off you go. So he put me on the end of the runway. Full power. Go on then, off you go. We're <laughs> on the runway. Kept it straight. Got it. He said, are you going to pull it off the ground? I said, well, just pull it back. So I pulled it back. Yeah. We went, oh, it's lovely. And what I, was that feeling like? Oh, it's lovely. I love it. Yeah, super. And, and that's what's, uh, John, I find, find that so incredible that after a, a career in, in the RAF and reaching the heights literally and, you know, through the ranks that you did, that it was at the age of 84 you first flew a plane. First, first actually flew an aeroplane. That's yeah. amazing. I'd never even flown a glide or anything like that. No. So here's my question. After all of the stuff that you told me, you know, from your life, from Southfields, then to Middlesex growing up, where you went to grammar school, you did a national service, you met your wife Joan, you three beautiful children, your glittering career in the RAF, and then at the age of 84, you decide to learn the piano, start painting and fly for the first time in your career. What would you say are the things that you've learned? What are your life lessons that you'd pass on to other people? I'm not an overambitious man. I was never one for standing in the bar and drinking and making up to the weaker mind or any of those like that. Mm. That wasn't my my idea. I didn't want to do that. Looking back, I, I mean, we've had ups and downs, of course. That I means, but uh, looking back, I've had a very uh, a very good life, really. And and for for and uh, for a lad who, who just went to grammar school and got six credits, I'm, you know, I'm reasonably satisfied with my life. I should think so too, John Hyde. Thank you very much. <laughs> Put another cup of tea. Well, that was John Hyde, 84 and still going strong. As you'll have just heard, this podcast is all about sharing fantastic life stories. But unlike today's guest, John, not everyone has three lovely kids on hand to visit them when they're lonely. There are well over a million chronically lonely people in the UK. If you'd like to know more, then please go online and visit campaigntoendloneliness.org and find out how together we can all end loneliness. Thanks again to John, and also thanks to Acast for hosting this podcast. See you next time.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 